Scripture today is John 10, 7 through 18. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. When the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Vicki. So good morning. My name is Drew Bennett. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to see you this morning as we continue a series uh, during this four weeks of Advent. In John's gospel, we are looking and examining the incarnation. Jesus is coming into the world in his own words. Uh, now, if you're confused, one of the things, I think maybe we said this already, and I wasn't in the room, but uh, Vicki read that in the NIV. We actually, I'm going to be doing it from the ESV, so there's a few, cha- like a few, it was just a kind of a typo in the office this week as we printed that out for you, but uh, there may be a few things, uh, but but pretty much uh, the same as we work through this text together, okay? Uh, the Gospel of John is organized around this series of I am statements that Jesus made. I am, of course, being uh, the God's Old Testament name, and so it's a claim of divinity on Jesus' part. Jesus is I am. He's saying, I am God, come into the world, which is what we celebrate. That is the wonder of Christmas, isn't it? That, that God has come older than eternity. Now he is new, now native to the earth as we are nailed to this poor planet, caught that we might be free to borrow a line from my favorite meditation on the Incarnation, which is a poem by Lucy Shaw entitled Mary's Song. But the I Am statements, they are also the mission statements of Jesus, a mission statement of a kind at least. They reveal to us why he came, what the Incarnation is all about. And so this morning we come to John 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now this is a familiar metaphor. It runs throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, God is said to be the shepherd of his people, and so uh, we are probably familiar with this to a certain degree. You have the famous, of, most famous of all the Psalms, Psalm 23, saying, The Lord is my shepherd, uh, I shall not want. But this I am statement is different from the rest, which is why I'm excited to be in this text this morning, because it tells us something more about Jesus. The others that we've looked at in the past weeks describe what he's come to do, but here we learn something else, something more. We learn who he is, what he's like the kind of person that he is, how he feels about us as his people, these words reveal the most, the most, because 
They show us God's heart, and for that reason, they're particularly special. And so we look this morning together at at just this phrase. It's a long passage. We're not going to get to all the details. We really want to focus in on verse 14 and then draw things out from the rest of the verses here. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, which of course means if he is the shepherd, then we are what? Sheep. Which you should be insulted by, by him calling you that. It's not a compliment. Uh, but if he is the shepherd and we are the sheep, then I think there are three things that that means, three implications for us this morning. The first is we were made to follow. We also learn why it's so hard for us to follow because sheep are stubborn and they don't, they don't want, they need to follow, but they don't want to. And then thirdly, I think ultimately the text answers the question, then why should we follow? Why is Jesus worthy of following? So we were made to follow, why it's hard for us to do so, and why we should, and what the reasons are for that. Okay, so let's walk together through this text. First, we were made to follow. We're sheep. And sheep are the most helpless of all animals. They can't defend themselves. They're not nimble. They're, they're vulnerable to disease and to predators and to their own bad decisions, which is why they need a shepherd. I read a book uh, written by a shepherd in the Lake District of England a, a few years ago, one line uh, stuck with me uh, after reading all those, all those words. He said, it's my job to fret about my sheep. So one of the lessons is that you don't have to fret over your life because you have a shepherd who frets over you. Now, though, that isn't exactly true. Jesus is not anxious as if there's something that might come up that he can't handle or that might take him by surprise. So maybe saying that he frets is taking the analogy too far, but I really like it. I like to think about uh, the Lord that way. And so let's maybe say it this way. You, you don't have to fret over your life, but you do need to be fretted over. Because you're a sheep. And sheep have very small brains and no natural defenses, and they require constant attention and care. You and I, we were made to rely upon God. We were not made to do life on our own. We are helpless, utterly unself-sufficient. Let me say it another way, closer to what the text says. You and I, we were made to follow. And, and the, the, the lesson of the text, the, the key to really... Uh, getting to what the text is teaching us here is that we need we need to find the right person to follow. That's the key to life because we were made to follow. We need to find the right person to follow. So Jesus says the sheep hear verse two. We didn't print this part. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice and calls. He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. We were made to hear a voice calling, calling us by name and to follow it. Philip Keller who was a shepherd and who wrote a commentary on Psalm 23, which is just marvelous. He said this, he said, I have become increasingly aware of one thing. It is the boss, the master, the person in charge in people's lives who makes the difference in their destiny. So who is your boss? Who is your master? What is the voice that you're listening to? It's woven into the very fabric of how we're made to hear and to respond. You need a voice from the outside to call you by name. So who are you listening to? Who are you following? Who's naming you? Who are you allowing to name you? Is there something or someone in your life that you're looking to to make everything all right? Someone who always affirms you and gives you a name. You need need the right person to follow. You need the right person to be naming you or you'll never find life and joy and peace. That's clearly what the text says. But what's happening here is a contrast is being drawn between the shepherd 
and all the other voices. And we can make a list of them if we were to go through the text. It's kind of overwhelming, to be honest. You have the stranger there in verse 5, if you see that. And then the hired hand in verse 12. Well, who are these people? And I'm not trying to dodge anything this morning when I say it's not really the point. They are the ambient noise from the shepherd's voice, so to speak. But then as you go on, there are the robbers, verse 8, and the wolves, verse 12. And, and here are those that have evil designs for the sheep. Those who want to lead you to destruction, who care nothing about you. And there's an obvious allusion to the religious leaders here back in chapter 9. Jesus is drawing a contrast between himself and them and their heart for the people. And then, of course, in verse 10, there's the thief, the primary antagonist. And here the contrast is really brought out. You see the point Jesus is making in all of these verses. He says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come. In other words, I'm much different. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, he goes on. So you were made to follow. Make sure you're following the right person. Jesus is the only one who gives abundant life, literally. Life and more is what it means there. Life and, and something beyond just life. So the picture here is sheep that are fat and happy and contented because their shepherd has taken care of all of their needs. You, you need to leave the ultimate leading and the ultimate naming in your life to the good shepherd. And then as Jesus says here, verse 9, you will go in and out and find pasture, right? It's just this, uh, it's this metaphor of you just go in and out, careless in God's care, always having aware of always having exactly what you need. You know, in the 19 years of parenting now, uh, my kids have never not once asked me at bedtime, are we having breakfast tomorrow? Instead, they ask, what's for breakfast tomorrow? I'm glad to report we have a perfect breakfast record. Now, it's not always fancy. Uh, it sometimes is thrown together. It's sometimes we don't have breakfast, so Dad's got to go to Chick-fil-A, which is even the best kind of breakfast. But they know that something will be there on the counter waiting because someone has gone to the store or run to a fast food joint very last minute and made sure that the food was there to eat and it was all ready. So they come out of their rooms and eat their food and head off to school. And we know it creates trauma in children when they want for basic needs at a time in their lives when they're too small and they're too weak to provide for themselves. Why? Because something inside of us psychologically, just in the very fabric of our createdness, we all need someone to take care of us. We are sheep. But the good news of the text is that there's a good shepherd. Romans 8.14 says this, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. God leads his people. He doesn't give them a map. It's better. God just doesn't drop a map down, down into our lives. He drops himself down into our lives. He promises to be there himself, which of course is what Christmas is all about. It's what all these flowers and lights and the candles and stuff, it's what we're celebrating, that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And God has come to lead us in and out and give us pasture, to give us abundant life. But abundant life is a given life, a life that's not of our own making. It's a life that, that has to be given from his hand. And so you have the psalmist in Psalm 23 just saying very clearly, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies and so forth. And the, in other words, every morning... We wake up into a day that's been made. I, 
as soon as I wake up, before I even get out of bed, I try to recite the verse. Jonathan talked about singing it in the shower. I haven't gotten to that place yet, but I recite the voice to myself that says, the, the, the verse that says, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, just to remind myself that God has already gone before me into the day. He, I was sleeping, but he was not. And the day has been prepared. He's made all of the arrangements ahead of time. We wake up every morning into days made for us by our good shepherd. We don't have to worry about a thing. All we have to do is rejoice in what comes no matter what. That's what, that's what this text means. We're sheep. We need someone to follow. And there is a good shepherd who goes before us to prepare the way that we can go in and out and find pasture. But secondly... We're sheep, which is also a metaphor for lostness in the scriptures. And so it also speaks to why it's hard for us to follow. And I'm thinking of the passage in Isaiah, which may be familiar to you, Isaiah 53, 6, that says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. So we hear the shepherd calling, Isaiah says, but instead of following his voice, as we're told to here in John 10, we turn away because we think in our silliness that we're better off on our own. So we hit the road. The shepherd is calling us this way. We turn and go the other way, a way of our own making. We hit the road, not realizing that the road itself is someone else's idea of where we should go. It was laid down by where others wore a path, as Jamie Smith in a book on St. Augustine that he wrote says, says, the irony is that even when you're alone on the open road, you're following somebody. I mean, the interstates just aren't randomly there. There's somebody's idea of where you should be traveling. And so to answer the call of the asphalt is to follow them, he says. Never mind, though. What matters is that we decide our own travel plans. And it's fascinating that that verse in Isaiah can so thoroughly capture the spirit of the age almost 3,000 years after it was written down. That's how I know the Bible is true. Human beings haven't changed much over all those years. We still think that life is freedom, and freedom is freedom from Freedom from, this is the ultimate American 21st century value. Freedom is self-determination. It hasn't always been so. Just two generations ago, my grandparents believed that what mattered most, what shaped you and made for a happy life were the commitments that you made. And so they stayed in difficult marriages and they retired from the same company that gave them their first real job after 50 years or so. Because what, what mattered was the commitments that you made and the people you cared for and that you stuck and that you did your duty and you did the thing that was right. What matters now, what matters now is just really quite the opposite. And it's just overwhelming to me sometimes. What matters now in our culture is that we're free from all such constraints. Free to explore what we call an authentic life. In other words, to be beholden only to whatever impulse or desire rises from within at this particular moment, no matter how incongruous it might be from what I was feeling yesterday or from what I might decide I'd like to pursue tomorrow. But this presents a real problem, this idea of freedom that is abounding in our culture. James Smith, again, he offers a helpful analogy, I think, for us. He says, if you've ever been swimming in an above-the-ground pool, you know what I'm talking about, the above-the-ground pool that has the walls that comes out, and it's, they're usually small, and, you know, you can't really do laps and, or you can't really play games because they're typically pretty small. So you keep bumping up against the walls and you wish they weren't there. And so he says, well, if, so if you just get really frustrated by that and you try to knock down the walls to think you're going to expand uh, the, the amount of water that you have to swim in, of course, when you succeed in knocking down the walls, the pool doesn't get bigger. What happens? <laughs> it disappears. And so he says... 
freedom to follow myself starts to feel like losing myself, dissolving, my own identity slipping between my fingers. We can't not follow. If we decide to follow our own way, that way quickly becomes the freedom of the addict. Enslaved to our own out-of-control desires, habits become necessities. Want is replaced by need. And so St. Augustine in his confession writes, without you, he's, the confessions are really marvelous because it's this big, long book where, where he's really addressing God. And he, so he says, without you, God, what, I am to myself, what am I to myself but, but a guide to my own self-destruction? In other words, if I follow myself, the only place I know to lead myself is to my own destruction. So Jamie Smith asks a penetrating question, I think, in talking about this in this particular chapter. He says, do you really trust yourself with yourself? Should you? We read in multiple places in the Gospels about how Jesus saw people and felt compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Can you... Can you imagine a better description of our world? A population of people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Everybody going frantically from one place to the next. No cohesion, no, no sense of everybody being together. I mean, those two words describe people who live emotionally tortured lives. Lives of desperation, fretful, fearful, despondent, not functioning, never still, never safe, never at peace. This is the ultimate destination of doing it on our own. What we need then, our hearts content to follow. We can't not follow. We need the right person to follow. But in order to follow, we need hearts that are content to follow. And this is hinted at in the text when Jesus says in verse 16, my sheep, they listen to my voice. I mean, that on, on the surface is just a remarkable thing because sheep are not very good listeners. They are notoriously stubborn. He's talking about us, guys. And listen here means to obey. Jesus' sheep love to obey. That's what he's saying. My sheep love the sound of my voice. They love to follow me. And that's the point. It points to a work that God must do deep in our hearts to overthrow our natural sheeply inclination to keep going off on our own thinking we know better than the shepherd where we should go where the green grass is so the prophet Ezekiel talks about this he says I will give you a new heart and I will give you a new spirit and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to listen and to obey all of my rules so this is the freedom that God ultimately offers us but it's not a freedom from it's a freedom for to be given a will by God's grace to choose joyfully and willingly to follow the right person doesn't that sound like good news? That is the ultimate freedom that the Bible talks about. And so I want to just finish then with, with if, if, if you can feel that in your own soul, then you just go to God with that and say, Oh, Lord, please unshackle me from the chains uh, that are binding my own will and free me by shackling me to yourself. And here's why I would encourage you to pray that. Because he is ultimately revealed to us here as the one who is worthy to follow. Why should you follow Jesus? Well, the first answer is not because of what he's done, but who he is, what he's like. As I said at the beginning, the reality of Christmas uh, teaches this powerful lesson. The reality of Christianity does not hang on a doctrinal system. The truth of it is found in the person of Jesus. What God gives us is not an airtight argument, but an unassailable person. What Hebrews calls the power of an indestructible life. I am a Christian. I am a Christian because of Jesus. 
because of who he is, because of what I see to be true of God and what I see to be true of him. Now, a more complete answer to reason with you some, which is what I think the text is trying to do, is that we should follow him. He is worthy of following. He is revealed to us as the right one to follow because of the love he shows and because of, of the future he promises. That's why you should follow him. That's why you should listen to him and not the other voices. Now, let's look at the first of those from our text. He says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the only one who truly loves you. Everybody else is just trying to use you. That's the point of verses 12 and 13. The hired hand who doesn't own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep. He cares nothing for the sheep. So the crowds will do that to you, teenagers. The crowds will do it to you. They'll take off as soon as it gets hard. Friends, even spouses will do that, but not Jesus, never Jesus. Because he made you. And he owns you. And you're his and he laid down his life for you. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 2, Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us. So if you want to know, again, teenagers, just, just, I mean, all of us, but for those, you know, if you want to know if somebody loves you, you ask yourself this question, do they lay down their life for me? The person who loves you is the person who lives a me-for-you life. But the person who lives a you-for-me life, who demands a you-for-me transaction with you, they're not, they're not loving you. They're just trying to use you. So follow Jesus because of the love he shows. He is the one who really loves you. He laid down his life for you. He lived the ultimate me-for-you life for all of his people. You see the prepositions there in verses 11 and 14. I lay down my life for the sheep. That preposition means in the place of. So here the metaphor breaks down a bit. It's interesting. Jesus mixes his metaphors. It makes me feel better about when I do that as well in my preaching. Jesus is the shepherd who, when the wolves come, here's the thing. He's the shepherd who, when the wolves come, he doesn't take up a sword and slash them to pieces. But he's the shepherd who, when the wolves come, becomes himself a lamb who takes place of the sheep. And this, of course, is an allusion to the cross. The sheep was the animal used in the sacrifices in the Old Testament. So the sins of the people demanded blood. It demanded death. And so the sheep was killed as a sacrifice, as a substitute in the place of the people. Well, Jesus Christ is here revealed to us as the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world, who died in our place for sin. And the lesson of the cross is twofold. On the, first, on the one hand, Jesus had to die to love us. It's what our sins required. That's how hard we are to love. That's how costly we are. Do you know you're that costly to love? But don't, don't take it too hard. It's actually good news because not only does, do we see here that Jesus had to die to love us, but we also see that he was willing to die because he loves us. Look at what it says down in verses 18 and, and beyond. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. In other words, Jesus is saying, I didn't have to do this. No one made me do this. This was my decision. And I did it because I love the sheep. He is the shepherd who would lose anything rather than see his sheep die because there's such great price, such great value to him. He would give up anything. He would give up his life, his glory, the whole universe because they were more valuable to him than all of that. Jesus died on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God, yes. But that's not what's being brought out here. John 10 gives us his inner psychology. Jesus sees something of such infinite worth and value in us. And he is so moved with love for us that he would die. 
so that our sins might be forgiven and he might give us a heart to truly follow so that he could lead those he loves to the life that is truly life. Friends, there's no one who's ever loved you like that. So follow him. But there's one other thing. Follow him, not just because of the way he loves, but also because of the future that he promises because we're told here that Jesus is leading us toward a wonderful future. And Advent, remember, this whole season we're in is not just a time to look forward to Christmas, but also to remember that we're waiting for him to come again. And that is why we've included the readings and the Revelation passages in the services. Psalm 23 promises that being led by the good shepherd means green pastures and still waters and banqueting tables and overflowing cups, but also dark valleys because... The kingdom is not yet all the way here. But remember how Psalm 23 ends? Do you remember Do you remember that famous passage? It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Amen, right? Amen. That is our experience. But then, it, but then he transitions to the future tense in the very last words of the psalm. He says, goodness and mercy all the days of my life, and I will dwell, future tense, in the house of the Lord forever. So later here in John 10, Jesus says, verse 28, we didn't print this either, but... It's part of the overall teaching. He says, my sheep follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, that's my favorite part. We should have printed that probably. Uh, but what he's saying is, uh, if, you, if your faith is in him, if you are one of his sheep, if you belong to him, then your future is secure. He will bring you home. Revelation 22 gives us a glimpse of what that home will be like. It's flowing rivers and fruitful trees where we see God's face and we're known by his name and there are no more valleys of deep darkness and at the center of it all twice is what is called the throne of God and the lamb there in that revelation passage that we read a little while ago and I read that and it just stopped me my jaw just dropped to be honest because that that image of the throne of God and the lamb so the throne is a symbol of God's power and authority and government the lamb of course means his gentleness and his sacrificial love Jesus is the lamb in Revelation. And so the throne, the throne image there means that everything that happens comes from God. The lamb image there means that everything that comes from God comes from love. Everything. Everything. Everything that happens comes from God, and everything that comes from God comes from love. That's what the throne of God and the Lamb means. Now, here's the good news for us as we wander through this wilderness world. That's as true now as it will be then. It's then. It's as true in the deep darkness as it is beside the still waters. But one day it will be true in a way that we can't even possibly fathom. And that is the future that he promises us. And he says, it's absolutely secure because if you belong to me, you're in my hands and no one can snatch you out of my hands. And then the image goes on in John 10 there to say, as if that's not enough, he says, and my father's hands are over top of my hands. So you're in my hands. But then the father puts his hands over top of my hands and no one can snatch anything out of the father's hands. We're absolutely safe. We're absolutely secure. Our future is absolutely guaranteed. And so we can rest in the promise of then now. And listen for his voice and follow. We were made to follow. We need the right one to follow. Here is the one who is the right one to follow, who gives us willing feet and a willing heart to follow. And so here are the, the hymn writer's words as we close this morning, because I think they really do speak uh, to, the, to the heart of this passage. Uh, this is uh, from the Gatsby hymnal. He says, remember one thing, oh, may it sink deep. Our shepherd and king cares much for his sheep. Proud lions that boast when lusty and young soon find to their 
cost self-confidence wrong, but lambs are preserved, though helpless and kind. When lions are starved, they nourishment find. Their shepherd upholds them when faint in his arms and feeds them and folds them and guards them from harm. Blessed soul who can say, Christ only I seek. Wait for him always. Be constant, though weak. The Lord whom thou seekest will not tarry long, and to him the weakest is dear as the strong. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, come now to us as your people. Come, great shepherd, and subdue our wayward hearts to yourself, this propensity within us to just go our own way, to do it on our own, to not follow, to think we have what we need in ourselves. How foolish we are. (laughs) How utterly foolish it is to live that way, to think that there is some supposed freedom in finding the most, the deepest, truest, most authentic self inside of us and living from that center when in truth all we do is create more of a mess. We become like those sheep that were harassed and helpless without a shepherd. And so we, we know, we know we need you. Cause our hearts to yearn for you. Help us to see all of this desire inside of us that, that uh, is unsettled is a true desire to just have a shepherd who leads us in and out to find pasture and then subdue our waywardness, heal our backsliding, and give us hearts that gratefully follow even into deep darkness because we know the heart of the shepherd. The heart of the shepherd is the same when the shadows come as it is when the sun is shining bright. Oh, Father, we look forward to the day when we will no longer live by faith, but we'll live by sight. But until then, would you come? Remind us that we are your people, the sheep of your pasture, those that you love. Convince us of those truths, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He is indeed worthy. Amen. He's worthy because of his great heart. And here again is the expression of that in these words of benediction. So receive them and go knowing this is what is true of the way that he is turned towards you as his sheep. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.